Hello, I'm Hans Lee from Livewire Markets, and you're tuning into Signal or Noise, the podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by Australia's top macro minds to explain how you can make money from a top-down perspective. If you're confused by the data or a little lost in the headlines, this show is for you. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to our show and the Livewire Markets and Market Index websites. And a reminder that everything you're about to hear is information only and not advice. So with that said, let's go. Hello, I'm Hans Lee and welcome to Signal or Noise. Now, as I'm sure you know by now, this is our show dedicated to economics and data. But this month, we are answering a request that so many of you have given us. Could you please do a primer into economic data itself? So if you've ever wondered why there are various measures of inflation or what a recession means in real terms, this show is for you. Let's meet our panel. We've got Anthony Doyle, Head of Investment Strategy at Firetrail Investments. We've got Isaac Paul, CIO at Oriana Financial Services. And we missed her for a little bit, but it's nice to have her back. Diana Messina, Deputy Chief Economist at AMP and our series regular. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Let's just get straight into it. Our first data point is the grandfather of them all. GDP, gross domestic product. Simply, it is the value of all the finished products that are made by a country over a period of time. In most countries, GDP is a quarterly measure. And actually, the day that we're filming this, Australia's GDP was released just inside that 2%, but hanging on by a thread. Anthony, I might start with you. Is it a data point that investors should pay attention to? Signal or noise? Yep, this one's a signal, Hans. This is the data release that economists dream about when they go to sleep at night. And sometimes they wake up having nightmares and other times they have a very um, good night's sleep. So not only do economists dream about it, but policymakers, investors. I mean, how often can you get a reading on the economy for the whole economy, as you say? And now, even though the, the data might, is backward looking, as a, as a, um, a case in point, um, a lot of it is already released, so you have a fair guide as to how the GDP print might um, evolve. Um, it's certainly a, a keen and, and a market moving event that uh, keen observers of finance will watch very closely. I think I won't ask if you have dreams about GDP per se, but what about you, signal or noise? Uh, I'm gonna say noise. I'm gonna take, uh, I, yes, you might dream about it, but you wake up with a yawn. Uh, I, I just think it's, uh, it is very backward looking and I don't tend to take a lot of uh, information from the headline in particular. Uh, I, I guess I take the point that there are some important underlying measures that you might be able to look at and say, hey, this is gonna give me a sense around uh, where growth will be in six months time. But at the headline level, we tend to overlook it and, f and try and focus more on what's really happening in the real economy. All right, Deanna, what about you, signal or noise? I'm gonna say short-term noise, long-term signal. In the short term, markets generally move before the GDP data. You know, now we have tools like now casting or GDP now types of forecasting measures where you're trying to predict what the economy is going to do. So in, in that sense, it is very backward looking because you can get much more accurate reads of forward looking data. But at the same time, I guess it's always a nice confirmation of things that have happened. And in the long term, equity market returns, dividend yield, uh, they're ultimately driven by the strength of the economy, which is the level of GDP growth. We should mention that Nowcast is a, is a specific measure that they have in the US. It's run by one of the, uh, the banks of the Federal Reserve, which is, of course, the US Central Bank. Second data point is uh, one that's occupied all of our lives for the past three years, inflation. Of course, price rises have been a headache for many companies and indeed many central banks. Australia is transitioning to a monthly report after decades of using a quarterly measure. And Isaac, as I say, obviously, it's been a big issue for the last three years. But what about moving forward? Signal or noise? 
Yeah, I, I think this is a signal, uh, and it's a signal in a, in a couple of ways. One's, one, it does give you a sense of the underlying demand of the economy. It's a, a function of uh, GDP and economic growth. But the real signal is it gives you a sense of what central banks are thinking about. Central banks are very cautious. They, they go to sleep uh, having nightmares about persistent inflation. And so they will always be cautious in responding to it. If you see inflation uh, remaining high, you know that they're going to keep rates elevated. If it's low, they're going to cut rates. This for me is a really critical signal. Yeah, absolutely. Deanna, signal or noise for you? Signal for me as well. Uh, the best leading indicator of inflation when you do forecasting of inflation is last quarter or last month's inflation print because it kind of feeds on itself. Inflation, uh, actual data leads to changes in inflation expectations, which is then obviously priced into bond yields and into share markets as well. Yeah. Anthony, what are your thoughts, signal or noise? Oh, it's a signal. It's hard to argue otherwise, um, particularly when you consider that 2022, really a macro-driven market for risk assets, um, including equity markets. What we saw was interest stock correlation spike and everyone, nine, uh, 10 out of 12 most trading, uh, most volatile trading days of 2022 were inflation print numbers in the US. So that goes to show the impact that it can have on markets in the short term. This year, um, obviously we've had the rise of the Magnificent Seven, but uh, dispersion in the marketplace has really grown. Interest stock correlations have fallen and it's been a lot easier for active investment managers to generate alpha in that type of environment. An environment where it's not driven by a single data print and whether that data print is higher or lower than expected. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ignore it at your peril, folks. Staying with you, Anthony, I mean, you've had a, a whole career in global macro and markets, obviously you used to work at a Fidelity International with that particular remit. What role does inflation play in your investment process? Although I know you are a bottom-up investor primarily nowadays. Yeah, so, I mean, we want to ensure that stock selection drives alpha in our portfolio and across the funds at Firetrail. So we try and control for macro risk as much as we can. And I think it was said earlier, you know, what drives share prices over the medium to long-term is earnings. And so you can gauge from inflation, you know, to what extent is rising cost pressures like labor costs or input costs having an impact on the bottom line for companies. And we typically can hear that from company management themselves. Um, we will have a close eye on commodity markets, for example, both soft and hard commodities. Um, but again, when you're thinking about what central banks might do, Oh, most of them are inflation targeting central banks um, and that's where it feeds into obviously the cost of capital via interest rates. All right, so our next data point now, it may be familiar if you have ever read a global business news piece especially, PMIs or Purchasing Manager Indexes or Indices, they are a useful cue for economic growth, but are they a useful cue for investing? And Deanna, I'll turn that to you, signal or noise? I think it's a signal because it is a good leading indicator for growth. It gives you a, a reading of manufacturing and services activity. And we know that share markets react to when those PMIs disappoint either to the upside or to the downside. Yeah, I mean, Australian PMIs, the composite PMIs, which are manufacturing plus services, are near 12 month lows, which also feeds into GDP, which is why we're near that cyclical low. Anthony, signal or noise? Uh, this one's noise for me. I cannot tell you a time in my career in markets that an investor, fixed income or equities or multi-asset has come up to me and said, have you seen the latest PMI data or ISM report? Um, now, I totally agree that it's an excellent lead indicator um, and the ISM, for example, has a close relationship with GDP growth um, and it is a lead indicator, so very important. Um, but for markets and for investing and for generating alpha, probably less so. Isaac, what do you say, signal or noise? 
I think this is one of the, the best signals out there actually. And if uh, here I'm really talking about for people who are investing out of, over a medium term, that PMI goes back 60 plus years. It has a phenomenal correlation to GDP growth with a nice lead structure into it. Uh, when that manufacturing PMI drops below 50, you're gonna have blow trend growth. When it drops below 45, with 100% accuracy, you're having a, G a, a recession in the next six months. Uh, and if you're, you wanna start taking bets on that, it's time to load up once it hits there. We're at 47 now. Uh, we're not far away from it. Uh, for people thinking about putting trades on a recession, that's your indicator. That's an interesting indicator, actually. All right, thank you very much. I didn't actually know that either. So our fourth topic is not, it's not so much a data point, but it is a pair of terms. When you talk about inflation, you think of central banks. And when you think of central banks, you may be familiar with the terms hawkish and dovish. Deanna, what is hawkish and dovish? And is it a signal that you think investors should pay attention to? It's a bit of a strange term, really. <laughs> um, well, it's ultimately just a way of reading central bank communication. So when we say that, I mean, I, I don't know why this bird terminology actually became associated with central banks, but that's just what it is. So when we talk about hawkish central banks or hawkish central bank speak, it's ultimately central banks being concerned about the inflation outlook and therefore ultimately probably wanting to tighten interest rates a bit further. And when they take a more dovish stance, they are not as concerned about the inflation environment and therefore probably there's not as much need to raise interest rates. And uh, yes, it is a massive signal because the last two years shows you that the market moves on single word changes in central bank communications, whether it's speeches or post-meeting statements. Uh, the hawkish or the dovish signal to me is massive. Yeah, absolutely. Anthony, do you find those labels useful, <laughs> signal or noise? Oh, I, th I think this one's noise for me, uh, Deanna. Um, the reason being, I mean, there's so, so much emphasis placed on speeches and a word here or there and comparing last month's central bank statement to this month's central bank statement and putting everyone on a, a line trying to predicate where uh, central bank votes may or may not go. Um, but ultimately, what really drives the central bank action is the incoming data, um, where they become more data dependent. And I think it's really jargon. Um, essentially, the hard data will, is what's going to drive central bank action. And as we've seen, central banks can be very, very wrong. Um, and the market and the incoming data can force their hand. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Isaac, what about you? Signal or noise? This is signal for me. Uh, I think it does give you a sense of what the central banks are, are thinking and people trade off that. Bond traders trade off it. If you start to hear a, a move from hawkish to neutral and then you start to hear the doves coo. They One are, word changes. They are, they, you, you, you see people move markets on it. And so uh, we watch this closely to gauge what the central banks are thinking. Uh, we might think they're completely wrong about it, but that gives us a sense of where they're wrong what the market's pricing, and you can make trades off that. Let me stay with you on that and kind of narrow that down if I can. I mean, as an investor, I know you look closely, not just to what central banks are saying, as you say, but also how markets respond to what they say. What are some of the different tools that are out there that investors can use to help interpret central bank speak, even though they really talk in coded language, let's be honest? Yeah, I mean, you've got to read everything that they say, mm. but you also want to know what the market's thinking about what they say. So there's various indicators you can look at. You can look at OIS swaps, overnight swaps, and get a sense of uh, is the market pricing in rate hikes, rate cuts? Is the central bank saying they're going to hike rates or cut rates or be neutral? If there's divergence between that, 
then you have a discrepancy that you can exploit. Uh, you can also look at bond yields to give a sense of uh, what the longer term market is thinking about. Um, and you know, I, I guess when it comes down to it, when the, when the central banks speak, read through it and as uh, Diana said, look at the changes in terms. All right, thank you for that. Our fifth and sixth topics for this show are actually linked to each other because they are two of the terms that the RBA has loved using and they've paid the most attention to when it decides whether to raise interest rates or not. The first, this bit of jargon, is accumulated savings. So we're talking about how much money consumers have in their bank accounts. Isaac, it is a term used by the RBA, but is it useful to investors? Signal or noise? I, I mean, this one changes a little bit. I think there was a real signal in this uh, 12 months ago and probably a lot of the market missed it because it's been a key reason why the US economy and the Australian economy have been so resilient to rate hikes over the last 12 months. That said right now, I think it might be a bit of noise because we see that savings have been wound down so quickly uh, in the US, still elevated in Australia, but I have a sense that in the cohorts that matter, uh, those savings are gone. And so waiting for excess savings to save our economy over the next 12 months probably won't happen. And so for now, I think it's a bit of noise. Yeah, no, absolutely. Deanna, what do you think? Signal on noise. I, Isaac said it beautifully just then. I don't really think there's anything else to add. I think uh, at, at the moment it is noise in Australia because when you look at, when you drill down into where those savings are accumulated, it's in the older age groups. And those are not the age groups that we're worried about right now. They're probably uh, happy to keep those savings for retirement. They don't need to draw down on those savings to pay down their mortgages. There may be some cost of living pressure still, but inflation's coming down. So that's helping to offset it. Uh, this term accumulated savings has really only been around since the pandemic. We never, we used to look at the savings rate, but we would never try and calculate, you know, how much extra savings consumers have. So I kind of hope that we stop looking at this term because I find it a little bit redundant in that it's hard to know if those savings have actually been used for something. Have they been put into to a term deposit or into another type of vehicle where you don't really want to touch it or even sitting in your offset account? So I don't really think it's useful for the for the long term. Okay, interesting. Thank you for that. Anthony, what do you think going forward, Signal or Noise? Yeah, it's probably noise. Um, the reason being it's very difficult to determine at, at an aggregate level, but even digging into it, to what extent people are drawing down on those savings. Um, and the RBA themselves uh, are still very uncertain about what the impact of, say, rolling uh, from a fixed rate mortgage to a variable rate mortgage, what the true impact will be. And it's probably why they're taking a, a more cautious stance on interest rates relative to um, other developed market central banks. So it's probably more noise for me. And I think that if you're having an outlook for the consumer, there's probably other areas that you can look at um, to determine how much stress uh, household balance sheets are under. Sure. Well, we've talked about one piece of jargon that's rolling off. The other piece of jargon the RBA loves using is around the jobs market. Of course, unemployment is very tight in Australia, and they have consistently talked about the labour market being tight. Or put another way, as you say, the nation remaining relatively near full employment for a long time, despite the fact that rates have been hiked by 400 basis points in a little over a year. Deanna, are tight conditions in the labour market signal or noise? 
I think it's a signal. I mean, the labour market in some ways, depending on what measure you use, is a backward-looking indicator. The unemployment rate is usually the last thing that moves when you go into you know, an, uh, an upturn or, or a downturn. If you think about it, normally um, people losing their job is really the last thing that goes. Usually the pace of hiring slows and then the job losses come. So when I think about the labour market, I like to look at leading indicators, job vacancies, job advertisements. Uh, Seek have a really good indicator about the number of applicants per advertisement. That's a much better guide to the labour market. But and, and, and those indicators to me are saying right now the labour market is not as tight as it was 12 months ago. If you just looked at the unemployment rate, you would say things are still pretty tight, even though it's increased a little bit. So you, you need to pick which leading indicators of the labour market you want to look at. Okay, interesting. Thank you for that. Anthony, signal or noise? I think this one's a signal, um, the tightness of the labour market. It's a nebulous concept built around the NIRU, the non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment. It's economic jargon, um, but certainly it's a very key concept that central banks have wedded monetary policy to. And you know they're so fearful of um, embedded wage price inflation becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy into headline inflation and sticky inflation, that I think obviously the tightness of the labour market is an important consideration for central banks. I can't think of another economic jargon than, than more, more than Nairu. Um, Isaac, signal or noise? Yeah, I agree that this is signal and, and with both of the, the previous comments, importantly about that focusing on forward-looking indicators. The, the unemployment rate is, is virtually useless as, a, as an indicator, but you start taking a rate of change or looking at the recent movements and you have a pretty good indicator of whether we're in recession. Um, uh, so that, that is the way to think about that labour market tightness, not where we've been, but what indicators will give you a sense of where you are. And of course, if they start moving, uh, you can get a really good sense of, uh, of whether we're in recession before perhaps the rest of the market wake up to it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, for the last topic, you didn't think we were going to do an economic show without this one. The last topic is one that either grinds people's gears or just basically starts an all-out debate. It is the technical definition of a recession. It's two successive quarters of negative economic growth in most countries, although if you use the US, there is a whole economic research body that determines whether there's been a recession or not. But is that traditional definition really useful in today's market? And Anthony, I might direct that at you, signal or noise? Yeah, this one's probably noise as well, if you're thinking about that um, technical definition of two quarters of a contraction in growth. And we've seen recessions that have been declared that have subsequently been revised away by the data. Um, so I, I don't know anyone that pays a lot of attention to it apart from newspapers and newspaper headlines. And there are other indicators to look at to determine the true stress that an, under, an economy is undergoing. And I think the labour market is, is key in that. Um, and definitely, you know, def delinquencies, defaults, etc. So whether you're in recession or not, um, it definitely plays on the consumer psyche and, and businesses and their determination of whether they should be investing or not. But it's a it's noise for me. Anthony mentioned something just interesting there about consumer psyche, Isaac, uh, because a recession, I think, is really felt in the mainstream before it ever really hits the, the data. So is it really a useful signal for investors? Absolute noise. Uh, just pointless to, to think about a technical recession. If you go back to the, the GFC and we all lived and, and worked through it, uh, there wasn't a technical recession. But if anyone came up to me and said there's no recession in that period in Australia, it's, it's nonsense. We had a recession. We had then a very elongated household and retail recession, as, as you're alluding to. Uh, you know when you're in a recession. Uh, and I've been unfortunate, I suppose, to work through 
various recessions around the world, they're all different, but they all have a hallmark that you know you're in it mm. without having to point to two negative quarters of, uh, of GDP growth. So uh, this for me is, uh, is a noise. There's also not just the, the argument about the, the two negative quarters of economic growth. There's also this whole thing about the per capita recession. And arguably, if you look at the GDP data today, we are in a per capita recession. What do you say? Signal or noise, Deanna? I'm going to say signal just to be different. Um, and God. also because <laughs> when you look at the worst share market falls through history, they've always coincided with a recession. And the worse the recession, the worse the share market drawdown. So yes, by the time you're in one, it's probably too late to change your stock selection or your portfolio. But the worse the recession, the worse drawdown that we're likely to get. So I think it's still important to keep in mind when you're doing forecasts of how you should be placed in your portfolio. I mean, most people in the past 12 months have been very worried about a global recession, particularly a US one in the next 12 months, and they've been more defensive in their portfolio position. So I still think it's an important indicator for investors. All right, thank you everybody. It is now time for our Charts to Watch segment. We, as usual, ask these terrific panelists to bring along one chart that they think investors could benefit from seeing. And in keeping with the spirit of this show, we have also asked them to bring along a chart that they could do some teaching with. Deanna, I'm going to start with you as I usually do. Your lesson is about monetary policy lags. So talk us through the charts that you brought us and why you think they matter. I don't think I've ever heard the word long and variable lags more than I have in the past 12 to 18 months from, this, from the central banks. And when you learn economics, you're kind of taught monetary policy works with a lag of about 12 to 18 months. And you know we can debate how long the lags are in this cycle, but it's important to keep in mind just because the central bank changes the rate today doesn't mean it's going to have an impact on the consumer tomorrow or on the business tomorrow. So my charts, the first one shows you the change in interest rates across the major economies or in Australia's main global peers. And you can see that even though Australia has had one of the lowest increases in interest rates so far in this cycle, the second chart shows you that the pass through to the mortgage rate has actually been one of the highest, which demonstrates that the, the, the lags to monetary policy or the impact of monetary policy here in Australia is arguably higher. The potency of monetary policy changes is higher because of how our housing market is structured, most people being on short term fixed loans or in variable loans, which is quite different to the rest of our global peers. And that's why we think that Australia won't need to take interest rates higher from here and why the RBA will probably sit at 4.1%, whereas most of our global peers have taken rates to high levels. And you make a good point as well. If Sometimes if you read stories, especially in the US, about the housing market being frozen, that's what this chart really alludes yeah. to, right? Because in the US, they have a lot of fixed rate mortgages. Again, kind of the, the opposite almost in a way to, to Australia. Thank you for bringing that along. Really appreciate it. Anthony, your chart extends a conversation we were having earlier. It's to do with unemployment, but explain how this chart helps inform the way you invest. Yeah, so what I wanted to highlight today um, is when it comes to macro um, variables, forecasting is hard. And um, my chart today shows the 12 month moving average of the unemployment rate versus the unemployment rate. And what we've found is that every time the 12 month moving average rises above the unemployment rate today, there's been a recession. You know, it's a very clear signal. Um, and, and like I said earlier, you don't wait for definitions. Look at the labor market. It's a lagging indicator, but it will indicate, you know, as Isaac was saying, you, know, you see shops boarding up. Um, it's a good sign that actually you know, the economy is beginning to suffer and potentially interest rate cuts may be um, down the line or coming pretty soon. So when I talk about forecasting is hard, 
you know, the uh, US Federal Reserve, they probably have 500 PhDs in economists working over there between the different regional central banks and the US Federal Reserve. Um, and what we found is how difficult it has been to actually get a sense of where economies may be moving, particularly after this lockdown and COVID crisis. So this chart highlights where the Fed thinks the US unemployment rate was going to back in June. They've updated these forecasts. They've lowered their forecast for the rise in the unemployment rate, but the Fed itself has been forecasting a recession, if history is any guide. And now increasingly, uh, the market is becoming more and more comfortable with a soft landing. Now for markets themselves, uh, we know markets, equity markets in particular, have had a fantastic rally this year. Whether that can continue will remain to be seen, but certainly um, I would say that investors are putting a lot of faith in um, central banks uh, and their ability to potentially generate a soft landing, which well, means they came, they lower, came to lower the unemployment. Yeah, well, they came to the rescue all the, you know, for the last few years and the last few decades. Why can't they do it now? So, I mean, there's a, that, that's, a com that's a whole different conversation. But thank you for bringing that along. Really appreciate it. Isaac, we're going to go to a completely different topic for your chart, the trade-weighted index. Now, even if you're not a currency trader, please stick with us for this one because Isaac's going to explain why you should care about this chart. Go ahead. Yeah, so I've got a chart which has the uh, trade weighted index, which is, uh, as it says, a trade weighted basket of uh, currencies against the Australian dollar and also the terms of trade, which is the cost or value of our exports relative to the cost or value of our imports. They're interesting partners because when you look at them on a level basis, historically you've seen as the terms of trade increases, the trade-weighted index increases and it plays an automatic stabiliser. Our, uh, I guess our cost of living improves as it goes up. Conversely, when the terms of trade collapses, the Australian trade-weighted index has historically fallen uh, and the value or cost of our exports increases. That's not a great way to look at it. Levels are always bad charts, I think. So I've taken the rate of change here. Uh, and what you find historically is it's the rate of change that really matters at the moment. And today's a great time for it. We've seen the, uh, the, ter uh, the terms of trade have collapsed further. That is a negative uh, signal, if you like, for the, uh, for the trade weighted index. And we've seen the Aussie dollar fall recently. I think there's further to fall. It's things like this that you can look at to gauge just how much further we have to go. Fascinating chart. Thank you very much. That's it for Signal or Noise. A big thank you to a terrific panel, to Anthony Doyle of Firetrail. Thank you very much. Isaac Poole from Oriana. Thank you. And of course, Diana Masina from AMP. Thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed the program. If you have, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and to both websites, Livewire Markets and Market Index. And if you've really enjoyed it, we will be doing a version of this very show at Livewire Live and Diana will be there. So will I. So you can look out for that on the website in the coming weeks. Thanks for joining us.